from Podcast One. Previously on Colors. CBS sportscaster James Brown on the impact of the protest after George Floyd's murder. I was so pleased and heartened to see, as Chris Core referenced about how this um, outrage has gone global because people understand man's inhumanity to man cuts across all races, socioeconomic status, anything. You know, it's a core issue of treating each other with love. Coming up on this episode of Colors. I will say that I am offended on behalf of of millions of uh, my fellow Americans um, that, that the tomahawk chop exists that the Washington NFL team name exists. And so uh, there should be plenty of us who are offended uh, by these by these racist symbols that just need to go. Christine Brennan, sports columnist, news commentator, and best-selling author, coming up on this edition of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. With Chris Core and J.J. Green. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And welcome to Colors. Well, we have a guest on this podcast, and the guest is a, a longtime friend of mine, Christine Brennan. She is a sports columnist for USA Today, the author of seven books, my favorite of which is called Best Seat in the House. About It's kind of a pun. It's about her seat because she got to cover sports, but it's really about her going to baseball and football games and sitting next to her dad, and I, I found it a really wonderful read. Uh, and she and I have been talking about this for a long, long time. I'll start off by saying this, Christine. You were one of, if not the first, sports reporter to say that you would not use the name Redskins anymore when you talked about the football team that you were covering. And uh, more people then followed suit. But I think you were one of the first for sure. And I know you won't use it even now. The owner of the Redskins has been adamant that he will never, ever, ever, ever change the name Redskins to something else. Do you think that what has happened now in the wake of George Floyd will make Dan Snyder change his mind? Chris, I don't know if it will make Dan Snyder change his mind, but I do think that the um, the push will be on to change the name. And and Chris and JJ, of course, great to be with you and discussing this important topic and all of these topics now. It's sports and culture uh the intersection is as wide as a superhighway in terms of uh, all of these issues, as they should be at this time in our, our nation's history. And um, yes, back in, I think it was 2013, I wrote a column saying I didn't want to use the name anymore. I would not use the name anymore. So I called them the Washington NFL team or or something like that, which is hard to do, especially being in D.C. to, to you know, there have been times I've had, to, oh, I almost said it. Yeah. And um and I'm not making light of it, but it, you do have to make fun of yourself sometimes because, as you know, of course, I covered the team uh, for the Washington Post back in the 80s when they actually won games and won Super Bowls and uh, 85, <laughs> 86 and 87. And um, and I said I said the name you know, thousands of times. It tripped off my tongue, of course, you know, and, and you didn't think about it. And so it was 2013. It started to become an issue. I think people started to focus on it. Native Americans were discussing it, uh, were being interviewed and, and quoted, and and we started to hear their voices in a way we hadn't before. 
And so that's when I, that's when I did it. And uh, but now, absolutely, I think you know, I think it's inevitable. Let's say it that way. It's inevitable that the name will change. Uh, Dan Snyder, I don't think wants it to change. Obviously, he told my colleague Eric Brady at USA Today several years ago. He said, "Never, all caps, use caps, never." Would he change the name? I think what's going to end up happening, though, is because of of where we are uh, as a society and having these important conversations. Uh, Mayor Muriel Bowser has never been more popular and and more powerful. Yeah, and so she really controls this because there's she has said she wants the name to change. So if Dan Snyder wants the stadium back in the district, which I think he does. You know, he's got to go through Mario Bowser and, and there's no way she or the D.C. Council will let him come into this into the district without um, without changing that racist name. Yeah. You know, Christine, just thinking about this, uh, his his adamant uh, position that he would never change the name seems to be something that, um, you know, a lot of people have said never. Uh, when it comes to certain things that some of us have considered racist over time. Absolutely. But we see them crumbling away. Um, one of the things that, that's most interesting to me is is we heard Roger Goodell's comments recently where he said the National Football League condemn racism and the systemic oppression of black people. He said, we, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. And, you know, I was speaking with your former colleague, Steve Weich, about this for a future show. And, you know, he was talking specifically about how Colin Kaepernick was a trailblazer. And I wonder, based on what Goodell has said now, and, you know, what we kind of see maybe happening with 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 uh, the Washington football team, do you think the NFL leadership gets it now? almost four years after the, the Kaepernick kneeling event? JJ, I, I do. I think uh, I think they do. Uh, I took Roger Goodell at his word. That was quite a, a video, a 81-second home movie, kind of grainy and, and uh, uh, unusual to look at, but it was very important. And when that came out, uh, I immediately, um, one of my many hats that I'm lucky enough to wear includes uh, some TV work and CNN had me, I was in my car and, and I was on literally right then with Wolf Blitzer and uh, live on the phone talking about the significance of it. So I'll take Roger Goodell at his word and I've known Roger Goodell for 30 plus years. Basically, we've come up together with the same age. Uh, me as a journalist, he on the PR side handing out credentials when we first met back in the early 80s. Mm, wow. And, yeah. And and so I do think he cares about this. Um, Roger Goodell has two daughters uh, who are in college, who I'm going to guess are aware of these issues, as as so many young people are, uh, no matter what the color of their skin or what gender or what uh, what religion. Uh, we're hearing from young people in a way we haven't in a long time. So, uh, and and he's been aware. And I think I think he I do think he cares. I know everyone wants to. Uh, blame everything on Roger Goodell and criticize him to the end of the earth. I, I, I'll, let's take him at his word. And let's see where this goes. I was disappointed that he didn't uh, mention Colin Kaepernick by name in that 81 second um, video. I thought that was a missed opportunity. My guess is lawyers were involved. Yeah. <laughs> and because there had been the lawsuit uh, by Kaepernick and it was settled with the NFL, that's that's my guess there that they said, don't mention it because who knows what door could open. Although I would say, why not? Um, apologize to Colin Kaepernick because he was right. Of course he was right. And Black Lives Matter, as Roger Goodell said those words. Well, 
then again, the natural extension immediately is to think of the, the name of one of the teams. It's also the Tomahawk Chop in Kansas City. The Chiefs do it, and of course, the Atlanta Braves do it in baseball. And it's repulsive, and it's grotesque, and it's just awful. And, you know, on these things, whether it be the, the Washington NFL name, the R word, or the Tomahawk Chop, when people say, well, does this offend everybody? Or, you know, first of all, leaders should lead. And if you're a leader, you should make a decision whether or not you have to put your finger up and test which way the wind is going. And you know what? Here I am, a a white suburban (laughs) kid uh, from Toledo, Ohio suburbs. Um, I'm offended. I will say that. I am offended on behalf of of millions of uh, my fellow Americans um, that, that the Tomahawk Chop exists, that the Washington NFL team name exists. And so uh, there should be plenty of us who are offended uh, by these by these racist symbols that just need to go in 2020. Well, speaking of which, because you're leading right right into what I want to ask you next, and that's NASCAR. And NASCAR is saying uh, we're going to tell people we're not going to display the Confederate flag anymore at NASCAR events. So we don't want you to bring it to the races. I guess they can't completely stop people from it. But that I have to say that really I was unaware of the fact that uh, the Confederate flag and NASCAR went together for some reason. I guess most of the big races are in the South, maybe not, but I think probably the majority. But I thought good for them. I mean, that kind of came out of nowhere. From, I don't follow NASCAR very well, but I I didn't know that was going to happen. Did you? Well, I know that Bubba Wallace, who of course has been in the news uh, because of the, uh, the awful um, noose and that controversy that went on in the garage there, um, and also, um, well, obviously been in the news a lot because of of his stances. He was speaking out. He wore a Black Lives Matter T-shirt. He spoke about it, and as the only African American, the only Black uh, driver on the NASCAR Top Series. Um, you know, that got a lot of attention a few weeks ago. And then he did say, as as you both know, Chris and JJ, he did say that it was time to get rid of the Confederate flag. And so he did th- say that. But you're right. It's it's not in the old days. Let's say it this way. The old old days before a few months ago, huh. uh, you know, <laughs> but it, sad but true. Right. Yeah, or, or, right. or maybe no. happily in this case, how things are how quickly things are changing. And so it's just extraordinary time in our nation's history um, that uh, before that, you know, someone saying that, well, would NASCAR have, have have leaped into action? Well, they did this time and they're right to do it. And what my take on this is, is yes, there's a lot of people who want that Confederate flag to stay. Shame on every single one of them. Shame, shame, shame on them. Um, and they have been emboldened by the president of the United States, which is just appalling on so many levels. But the the reality for the future of all these sports is your future fan base is not the confederate flag lovers yeah the future fan base is not the anti kaepernick crowd exactly. and we know this and because obviously i'm i'm a capitalist i'm for capitalism <laughs> um we know this because in 2018 nike put out that campaign with kaepernick's face uh, ad campaign only nike could pull off a fascinating commercial and all kind of merchandise for, on Kaepernick, and it sold out. And who was buying it? 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 25-year-olds, who are going to be long after, after Chris, you and I are gone anyway. Um, JJ, maybe you'll live forever. But long after all <laughs> right. of us are gone, those kids are going to be 
40, 50, 60 years old, that's for the next 50 years, they'll be watching the NFL. For the next 50 years, they'll be watching NASCAR. And if even if you don't do it for the right reasons, which of course, Lord knows you should do these things for the right reasons, if you're doing it for your future economic uh, uh, concerns, then that's a reason to do it in and of itself because young people are speaking and they are just not going to put up with what their grandparents have put up with. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting you mentioned that because I was thinking the same exact thing. The people that are out in the streets, it's almost sometimes since the George Floyd death, the protests have been almost three to one, non-blacks marching and protesting there just seem to be a lot more people who are not black out in the streets. And most of them are very, are younger people who grew up having a gay friend, who grew up having uh, a friend of a different race, who grew up with uh, people with different ideas and different thoughts than the, the norm. And they were, they were okay with it. They grew up that way. And the thing about the Bubba Wallace situation that really sort of uh, got to me was when I watched the the group of them walking the car. That was mm-hmm. a remarkable moment. So I said to myself, this is clearly a moment for NASCAR and thinking about the NFL and thinking about other sports. So I want to ask you, Chris, Christine, um, this moment, from the people you talk to in sports, do you get the sense that this moment will last long enough for it to make a difference, a real difference, because you know how we are in the news business. Um, right. From tomorrow, we'll be on a different story, and people will be focused on something different. Will this moment last enough to make a real difference on race in America? I think so. I think this is different. Uh, I, I really do. It is It is almost, um, you know, hit, hit, head-turning, whiplash-inducing, how quickly things are moving here. Uh, I've never seen a time this extraordinary, obviously, the pandemic and the horror and the sadness and the heartbreak and the, tra- you know, tragedy of all of that, and then the economy cratering, and then, of course, George Floyd, um, Brianna Taylor before that, but George Floyd triggering the whole thing. And and I think the importance of visuals, I, we've learned this over the years, to see it versus to read about it or to hear about it. And you look at that police officer with his, his knee on George Floyd's neck. We know the picture. We've seen it. And that is the death, the murder of George Floyd and the knee. And then, of course, juxtaposed, which I saw within a day. I don't know if you guys saw it quickly, but I saw it probably within the first 24 hours of as the George Floyd story was just exploding, as it should have in the country. Um, the picture juxtaposed with Colin Kaepernick kneeling. <laughs> and I yes, went, wow. Yes, I saw that. Wow. Wow. A man on his knee in peaceful protest at the sideline of a preseason or regular season, whatever, football game. Colin Kaepernick. Versus the police officer, who of course, has now been arrested and, and uh, is you know in jail and what have you. That police officer uh, with his knee on the neck of a man killing that man, according to what the police obviously say and, and what we all believe. Wow. The visual is so extraordinary. And so I think, you know, powerful pictures last a lifetime. I mean, we can all think of the Kent State picture, the Vietnam picture, right? We can think of it all. I mean, on and on it goes. Um, uh, John Kennedy being assassinated, everything, those markers, these will be markers. And I do think also that picture that you, that scene you mentioned, JJ, of, of that's so powerful. And, and I even had a little tear in my eyes. I saw it happening of, of all the drivers, NASCAR drivers walking along with Bubba Wallace's car. And then the entire NASCAR family behind all the pit crews, all the colors of the jackets and the, and the jumpsuits, 
oh, hundreds of them uh, with this one man and he was overcome. So I do. I, I am a bit of a Pollyanna, as Chris knows. I am a very <laughs> optimistic person. Me too. But right. I know you are, Chris, which is why we get along so well. Big Ten kids, uh, Midwestern kids. But I really feel this is different. And when you hear these leaders snapping to attention, you know, listening and Roger Goodell with that video and NASCAR Confederate flags gone. These are extraordinary moments in and of themselves. Each one of those would be one of the biggest stories of the year. And we probably had, what, 10 of them in, the, in sports in the last couple of weeks. And I think that's when you reach critical mass. Um, again, I hope it's, they're doing it for the right reason, but they have to do it for the future of this nation because they're going to lose the kids. They're going to lose yeah. the young people if they yeah. don't. You're a fantastic guest, uh, Christine. We can't thank you enough for coming on and taking the time. Our, our guest has been Christine Brennan. Uh, she's everywhere. As you said, you're on television. Now you're on our podcast. Your uh, column is in USA Today, and she has uh, seven books that have been published. So quite accomplished for a person from Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Chris and, and JJ. I'm a huge fan of your work, not only the podcast, but I'm a, as Chris knows, JJ, you don't know this, but WTOP Radio. It is on. In fact, it's the only reason it's not on right now is because I don't have anything on because I'm talking to you. But the moment we're done, I'm going to yeah. turn on TOP. Well, and I'm a huge fan of, of both of your well, work, of yeah, course. Yeah, you know, I work there as a national security correspondent, so I, I hear you all the time doing those live hits. So I know you're there. And we, we greatly appreciate that, Christine. Well, I, thank you. And I'm a loyal listener as well when, I, when, I'm, not, when I'm not blabbing about sports. <laughs> but thanks to you both for the podcast and for these important issues that you're bringing up. And uh, Chris, one of these days we'll go to a baseball game again, I hope. I hope someday, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. My name is Melissa Howell. I'm a black woman and I'm a reporter for WTOP Radio. I've covered many major events for much of my career, but for me, there's something different about the protests that have been sparked by the death of George Floyd. These voices remind me of my own everyday experiences and how numb and broken many black people are left because of those same experiences. Whether it's healthcare disparities, racial profiling, or other forms of systemic racism and oppression, these for me are very destructive acts of violence African-Americans live with every day. To see so many people of all races and ages protesting in ways that amplify these experiences in a country built on blood, it gives me a lot of feelings, but I hope these protests lead to a kind of meaningful change, and I hope they move us toward progress. My name is Karen Hansen. I'm white. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I live in Washington, D.C. This feels like a real moment of reckoning. As a country, we might, I hope, finally be growing beyond just identifying specific actions as racist, like expressing our brief dismay when the police execute black men in the street. People who look like me are finally starting to see that it's a power problem, a structure problem. As someone whose color comes with power, that makes it my problem. White people, like me, need to take this moment to first listen, then speak up, then actually act to fundamentally change our power structures in this country. My name is Larry Sanders. I'm an Indian Jamaican who have been living in the United States for the last 25 years. I am a U.S. naturalized citizen. The issue of racism in this country stares you straight in the face. It's not hidden, it's not behind a bush, and it's not under the voice of people whispering. It is loud and it's dangerous, and it's killing people. It's killing my brothers, it's killing my sisters, it's killing everyone who are part and parcel of the community that we live in, and it has got to stop. You're listening to Colors. 
One of the things that I want to get your reaction to, JJ, is there has been in over the last couple of weeks, we've seen so many demonstrations in the street, uh, almost nightly demonstrations in the street, understandably, except for at some point. And that is this, we talked about this briefly on our first podcast about statues. And we were talking about in Richmond, uh, the area near where you grew up. But recently, people have been trying to take down statues that it seems to me are incredibly inappropriate. For example, why would you take down the statue of U.S. Grant, or try to. U.S. Grant got the 15th Amendment of the Constitution passed. He's the one who uh, presided over Reconstruction. I mean, he, he's, I, I think, probably should be a hero um, when it comes to, um, you know, to black people in, in the United States. And the other one is Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was the first president to invite a black man to the White House to have dinner with him, and that was Booker T. Washington. Why on earth are these two people being tossed in with the obvious racists? Well, I have to say, on the face of it, there seems to be some element of their history or their past that crosses a lot of the people that want to essentially get rid of every single element of anything that was racist or that was connected to racism uh, and present um, essentially the icons and the history of this nation in a just different context. I fully agree with you about the Grant statue because of what he did from a military perspective. But I have to say, though, there are some compelling arguments about the times in which he lived. And, you know, even though things were part of what some people would call a norm back then, I can't judge these people for the choices that they made uh, based on what they possibly could have done. But I do know this. Grant was on the right side of the U.S. military history when he did what he did. Uh, and, um, you know, the other parts of his life uh, we, we have to wrestle with. Uh, just well, as- I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's from uh, Galena, Illinois. Um, Midwestern guy, uh, never had a slave. And, and also, again, he got the 15th Amendment through Congress. It might not have, if without presidential push from him, it might not have gotten passed. Maybe it would have anyway, but, you know, he really guided it through. Listen, he may or may not have been a great president. I'm not going to argue that. I'm just going to say, if you're going to protest people, there are people who you can protest who should not be honored with a statue. Jefferson Davis as an example. Uh, but my gosh, U.S. Grant and Teddy Roosevelt uh, are, I think, two, for different reasons, two great heroes when it comes to um, trying to integrate America. As far as the removal of the Teddy Roosevelt statue, I think that has more to do with the imagery of the statue itself as opposed to the lifetimes and the works of him, the man. You know, the statue shows him on a horse with an African-American man next to him and uh, a Native American on the other side as well. And what it does suggest is some sort of racial hierarchy. So that's one reason why I think a lot of folks see that as a racist statute. Now, what you said about Teddy Roosevelt's accomplishments, being the man who invited the first African-American man to the White House in Booker T. Washington, that says it all. It says what he essentially was about and what he was trying to do. But again, you know, people have their skeletons in their closets and people have their associations. But 
I think we all do. And if we're going to be honest about it, there are some much worse people that we can deal with uh, than someone who invited the first African-American to the White House. Allowing this to be seen publicly and done publicly was a pretty big thing back in that day. I want to ask you a question, too, Chris. The question I want to ask you is about elections. We've been hearing a lot about uh, concerns about whether or not the elections will actually be accurate because one of COVID-19 mail-in ballots and, you know, a lot of the technology that people are using right now uh, may be problematic. People have been waiting in lines to vote in primaries for hours in places you just would never expect that to happen a place like, you know, the metro, the Atlanta metro, you wouldn't expect that to happen in a very developed place like that. Do you get the sense, because most of this is happening in the South, do you get the sense that some of this is happening uh, on purpose? Do you get the sense that this is all accidental? No, I don't think it's accidental. And I live in the South now. I live in Florida. Um, And I hear we have... um, we're going to have we're being encouraged. I have on my desk right in front of me an application for a mail in ballot because they want to make sure that people will be able to vote. Uh, I know that there has been an attempt in some states to prevent mail in ballots. It, it's that's not going to fly in, in Florida. It you know, I, there's still a discussion about what's going to happen in Georgia. Um, and I don't think it's accidental. No, I do think that there is. And, and we're this show is, is we're nonpartisan. We're apolitical. But you're bringing up this is a civil rights issue. Are people trying to to, uh, suppress a minority vote? And I I don't really want to – I can't prove it, but my gut tells me, yes, I think there are people that are trying to prevent – or at least to suppress minority vote. And I'll leave it at that. I, I, I don't think it's by accident, no. What can we do about that, though? I don't know. I, I This is where the role of the media really does have to come in and, and, and do something, because I think I have to believe, as the Pollyanna uh, in the room, that um, most people want to do good. And I think that if people are aware of the, the suppressing tactics and realize it is going on, I think most people are going to be outraged no matter what their color is, because I think we do believe in representative democracy. Uh, I believe, I think we believe in fair elections. And I think if more people are aware of efforts to curtail those free elections, I think um, it will be more difficult to pull it off. That's my thought. That's an excellent cap to this week's show, partner. Pretty good show. Absolutely. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. And coming up on our next episode, they call her the trailblazer, Dorothy Gilliam, the first African-American female reporter at the Washington Post. One of the things that happened when I was growing up, I was born in the segregated South and uh, grew up there, and, you know, we heard of of lynchings and all kinds of things, but those things never made the newspaper. I'm proud that the Washington Post has on its front page a story about recent lynchings. These are things that were hidden behind the the, the cotton curtain uh, decades ago. Dorothy Gilliam on her life, her book, The Trailblazer and the Quest for Racial Equality, Past, Present and Future. 
That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. As we go this week, we want to thank all of those who've helped us out. Sean Anderson, Ashley Johnson, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Scott Stewart, Adam Carter, Beth Gibbs, Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Liz Anderson, Lisa Weiner, Thomas Warren, Karen Hansen, Larry Sindas, Ellie Rowe, Dimitri Sotis, Brennan Hazelton, Kyle Cooper, and of course, for the music this week, William Rosati, Cosmic, and Jesse Gallagher. And thank you for listening. And remember, keep talking to each other. If you have a question or comment, email us at colors at WTOP.com. Follow us on Twitter at Podcast Colors, one word. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.